Good morning. How are y'all? How are we doing? All right. Good. Good. I am excited to be here, man. Thank Chris for having me here. I, I am. I'm really excited to be here, be here today, and then be here with your students for Disciple Now, and then at camp this summer. And, and uh, I am an evangelist. It's what I do. I travel full time, speak to teenagers mainly, but this is what I do. Chris's uh, order of service that he gave me says I have 25 minutes. I'm an evangelist, Chris. I can't say hello in 25 minutes. So. Buckle up. So anyway, I'm excited to be here. My name is Runks. Um, it's a nickname, if you haven't figured that out. It's R-U-N-K-S. My parents did not name me Runks, okay? That would be stupid, okay? All right? My real name is Doug, all right? I told teenagers this morning, I don't go by Doug. Doug is not a name. Doug is a verb, okay? All right? I dug a hole, I dug a ditch. See what I'm saying? There you go. Anyway, also, I have ADD, ADHD, ADABCD. Off the charts, okay? Are there any school teachers here? Any educators here at all? Are you? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, take it easy on those kids, okay? All right? I've had teachers tell me, like, when I walked on stage, like, I knew before you opened your mouth you, you were that kid, okay? All right? I'm telling you. I, I'm telling you. Take it easy on those kids. Only those kids are going to change the world, all right? But for right now, take this pill, okay? All right? Settle down, all right? And these kids today are lucky, all right? I mean, when I, when I was growing up, we didn't have pills, for ADHD, I wasn't even ADHD, I was hyperactive, okay? The kid with diarrhea of the mouth who can't shut up. That's who I was, right? I didn't get a... My dad used to say when I was a kid, boy, you got diarrhea of the mouth and constipation of the brain, okay? All right? That's just... Blah, blah, that's it. I mean, that's just who I am. I mean, I... I we, we didn't get pills when I was a kid. We just got whippings, you know what I mean? We'll just beat it out of them, okay? So any of you kids today, teenagers, y'all got ADHD, be glad you have pills. You're not getting whipped, all right? Okay? I'm telling you, it's awesome. I'm so glad to be here with you all today, man. I, I, I'm really excited to be here to share with you what some things that God's doing, man. And, and uh, I, uh, I am I'm a person who is, uh, my, my wife says my love language is talking trash. I'm the kind of person, like, if I, if I like you, I'm going to mess with you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if I'm being nice to you, probably means I don't like you. You know what I mean? That's just me. And, and it took me a long time to figure out that talking trash is not my wife's love language, okay? Or I had to work through that. But, but I, I, I like to mess with people, have fun with people. And because of that, when I was in college, I lived in the dorm all four years, okay? Because it was the most fun place in the world to mess with people, all right? It was amazing. Most people go to college, they live in the dorm maybe a semester, maybe a year or two, and they move out and get an apartment. All four years. I lived in the dorm. It was incredible, all right? It was amazing. There was always something to do. And even if there was nothing to do, you had like 20 guys to do it with. It was awesome, right? And, uh, I mean, and I would pull some of the greatest pranks ever living in the college dorm, okay? All right? Like, like sometimes we get like, like a trash can full of water or a trash can fill it up with water and lean it up against somebody's door and beat on the door and run off. And they'd open the door and <laughs> it floods their room or whatever, stuff like that. If you were you know, be mean, you leave the trash in, in there with the water. But I never did that. But it was just crazy fun stuff. One of the best things ever, man, y'all should try. This is awesome, all right? Okay? Y'all remember old school? Y'all remember old school records? You know what I'm talking about? Like records, vinyl, you know what I'm talking about? The spin, you know, they're coming back, okay? Go to Goodwill. Get a, get a record. They come in a little sleeve. Y'all remember that? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You take that sleeve. You fill that thing up with whipped cream or shaving cream or something like that, and then you slide it under somebody's door just a little bit, and then you stomp it, okay? All right? And when you do, it blows that stuff just poof all over the room, all right? I mean, they're trying to study a whipped cream in their hair. It's amazing, okay? All right? Great stuff, man. I mean, like, like one time, one time, probably the dumbest thing I ever did was, uh, I, <laughs> this, if I got caught, I probably got kicked out. I get, don't, y'all don't ever do this, okay? All right? I, uh, I, I got a roll of toilet paper, and I wrapped it around a guy's doorknob, and, uh, Lit it on fire. 
and beat on his door and ran off. He opens his door to a big flame right there in his face. It's crazy stuff, man. I'm telling you, y'all don't ever do this at home, okay? All right? I shared this at a revival in Oklahoma a couple years ago. And uh, after the revival that night, this ninth grade guy goes home, gets his trash can, goes over to the little old lady next door. He filled it up with water and put it against this little old lady's door, rang her doorbell. Here she comes in her little walker. Yeah. Opens the door. About an hour later, the police show up at this kid's house, all right? He forgot that when he put the trash can against this lady's door, that his name was written on the front of it, okay? All right? Okay? So don't do this stuff at home, all right? Okay? I'm telling you, I love doing this kind of stuff, man. I love it. So when I got out of college and I moved to, to seminary, which if y'all don't know, seminary is where preachers go to learn how to be preachers, okay? All right? And it is the most boring place in the world. You know what I'm talking about. It's horrible. I mean, it's no fun at all ever, Okay? I mean, I mean, Chris is awesome, but a lot of pastors aren't. These guys, I used to call them preacher boys. They were eat up with being a preacher. They were all old. And even if they weren't old, they acted old. I mean, they carried briefcases around. They were coaching ties to class. They were just up tight, all right? And they all talked in this stupid little preacher voice. You know that preacher voice? Like, going, how are you today, brother? God bless you. Let's open our Bibles up. I'm like, why are you talking that way? Okay? It just drives me crazy. Talk to, do you talk to your wife that way? Hey, honey, let's go to bed. Nobody talks that way. Okay? It's so weird. Why do you do that? I hated that stuff. Calling everybody brother. Hey, brother, how are you? I think like, we are not related. Back up, okay? All right? I didn't know it was going to be like that, okay? So I go to seminary, and I'm expecting it to be like college. So I moved into the seminary dorm, okay? And uh, started doing the same kind of stuff in the seminary dorm that we did in the college dorm. They did not know what to do with that, man. It freaked those preacher boys out, okay? All right? So this one night, we're having a water fight. We got our super soakers, and we're blasting each other, and we start on the first floor, the second floor, get up to the third floor, and we pin these guys in their room, right? And uh, we're just waiting on them to come out so we can blast them. Well, my friend Barry points out to me that there's a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall next to their door, okay? All right? And I, I got ADD, ADHD off the charts, okay? I don't think. I just do, okay? And that gets me in trouble sometimes. So Barry just points out to me, he's like, hey, do you know what would be funny? be funny if you took that fire extinguisher and shot it off under their door so i'm like all right no thought grab it stick it under the door <laughs> unload this thing all right their door comes flying open right and two that mean you can't see an inch into the room all right it's wall to wall floor to ceiling solid white powder okay all right and here's the thing about this fire extinguisher powder i wasn't aware of is uh is the way it puts out a fire is it immediately removes the oxygen from the air, okay? So these dudes can't breathe, all right? So they come running out of there, man. They're rolling around the ground, dying, coughing their heads off, trying to get a breath. I'm rolling around laughing my head off because it was awesome, okay? All right? Well, then, another thing about this fire extinguisher powder I wasn't aware of, it has the same effect on fire alarms that smoke does, okay? All right? So I don't know about y'all, but when I set off a fire alarm in a dorm full of preachers at 3 o'clock in the morning, I ain't hanging around to see what happens. I'm out. Boom, we take off running, dude. That place erupted, man. I mean, in five seconds, there's a thousand preachers coming out in their bathrobes. What in the world is going on? I mean, they're freaking out, right? For like four days, everybody was going nuts. Nobody had a clue who did it, right? And I'm keeping my mouth shut, all right? And that is all these preacher boys could talk about is who set off the fire alarm in the dorm. I actually had one of them say to me, several of them say to me, can you imagine, brother, anyone so immature 
to set off a fire alarm in the seminary dorm. I'm like, no, brother. Can't imagine who that idiot is. Yeah. <laughs> like on the fourth day, I get a letter from the dean, okay? The dean is like your principal on steroids, okay? He's like the meanest dude at the whole seminary. He's the dean, right? I got to go see this guy. I get in his office, and I'm busted. He knows I did it. And uh, the first thing he tells me is, he goes, Mr. Runkles, uh, you're not adjusting well to seminary life. I'm like, no kidding, okay? If I'm fitting in with those dudes, send me home, okay? All right? And then he tells me that you need to, he assigns me, my punishment is, I have to go see a counselor for six weeks because I'm not adjusting well to seminary life, okay? All right? Which, believe it or not, turned out to be a good thing because I had some growing up to do, okay? All right? And it turned out to be a good thing for me, all right? But before all that, we turned that seminary upside down, y'all. I'm telling you, because we found the one thing the seminary could not handle, fun. And when we started having fun, y'all, we turned that place upside down. And I'm telling you, the same thing is true of the world we live in. Because the one thing the world we live in cannot handle is the truth of who Jesus really is. And when we begin to impact that world and share with that world who Jesus really is, it'll turn our world upside down. All right? But the world doesn't want to hear the truth of who Jesus really is. The world wants to water down who Jesus is. They're okay if Jesus is just the, the don't judge guy, right? Seen that meme on Facebook going around? This is how people read the Bible today. It's got a picture of the Bible, every word on the page marked out with a sharpie. And the words don't judge at the top. As long as we water Jesus down to be the don't judge guy, they're okay with that. As long as we water Jesus down to be the guy who said, who, who's ever without sin, you can cast a stone. They're okay with that. Who if we water Jesus down to be the guy who, who just said, just love everybody. I love you. You love me. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. They're okay with that. But let me tell you something. That ain't Jesus, y'all. That's not who Jesus is. Yeah, Jesus said, if he was about sin, cast the first stone. Yeah, he said that. But the very next thing out of his mouth was go and sin no more. Yeah, he said to love everybody. But he equated loving with obedience. Yeah, he said don't judge. But he also said don't judge unless you be judged by the same standard. He also said, Mark seven twenty four, stop making judgments based on appearances and make a right judgment. God never intended for us as Christians to sit back and just be car, car blanche, whatever, everything's okay. There's times when we need to take a stand for what's right and what's wrong. We need Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, but we need to make right judgments sometimes. Jesus is a guy, y'all, who talked more about hell and judgment than anybody else in the Bible. He talked more about hell and judgment than he did about love and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is a guy who, who, who yeah, he said love everybody, but he said love equals obedience. Y'all, he is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. He is the, 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 the lion of Judah. He is the bright morning star. He is, he is the, the, the resurrection and the life. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the great I am. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the everlasting God. He is the God of the universe. And he is the king of kings, y'all, and the Lord of lords. And he's the only one, the only one who saves. Out of 7 billion people on this planet, the only way that any person on this planet gets to go to heaven is through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Because Jesus saves, y'all. That's what he does. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus said himself. Matthew John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Only Jesus saves. Acts 4, 12 says this. It says that, 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 that there is no other name 
under heaven except for Jesus, whereby people might be saved. He is the only way that anybody comes to Christ. The only way that anybody gets saved, period. Being a good person doesn't save you. Being a Muslim doesn't save you. Being a Buddhist doesn't save you. Being a Hindu doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. And we must never, ever, 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 ever back down from that. We must never be ashamed of that. And I know, man, I know in the world we live in right now, this crazy, chaotic, angry world where there's tolerance for everybody except for Christians when all it seems the whole world is against us. That we might be tempted to shut up. We might be tempted to back down a little bit. We might be tempted to not be bold and share in our faith. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what's going on in our world. It doesn't matter how much anger and vitriol there is in our culture and how much intolerance and all kinds of the garbage going on. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. The power of the gospel, y'all, is still the power of the gospel. And it will melt the darkest, most angry, most skeptical, atheistic heart on the planet. And we must be bold in sharing that truth. That's who we got to be. That's who we got to be. And I know it's tempting to back off. And I see it all the time everywhere I go. So many of us, I see this on Facebook all the time, man. Every time something starts happening. I don't know, there's been some crazy stuff going on in the world the last couple of years. And every time something gets awful, I see this hashtag over and over and over. Come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And I just want to go, stop! Stop saying that. Because to me what that says to the world is things are so hopeless. But the only thing that could be good is for Jesus to come back. We have no hope. Stop. How about hashtag Lord send a revival? How about that? As much as I would love to be a part of the generation who is here when Jesus comes back, as much as I would love to see that happen, can you imagine, y'all, being here to see God send a sweeping revival, to send another great awakening, to see culture-wide people coming to Christ in droves? Can you imagine that? Yes, I want Jesus to come back. Don't hear me wrong. That's awesome. But I think when we're screaming all the time, oh, Jesus, come back, Jesus, come back, it's so bad. It says to the world we're, we're scared. It says to the world we're without hope. We are never without hope. As a follower of Christ, as a child of God, we should be the most positive, hopeful, cheerful people on the planet, in the room, all the time, every day. My favorite verse has become my life verse. It's on your sign out front today. I think it's awesome when I saw that when I walked up. Romans 15:13. It says, may the God of peace fill you, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you might be literally bubbling over with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who we're supposed to be, y'all. You want to impact the world? You want to see the world change for Christ? You want to see people coming to Jesus? Be that person. Be filled with hope. Don't be escapist. Don't be hopeless. Share the gospel of who He is. Share the message of who Christ is to the world. That's what we were to be about. That's what this is all about. And what I want to do this morning, I want to take a look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, and what Paul did to go out and change his world for Christ, to go out and impact his world for the kingdom. And I want to do that if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9, all right? And if you don't know Paul's testimony, buckle up, man, because this is crazy. He's got the craziest testimony, I think, in the whole Bible, all right? Acts chapter 9. Now, before Paul, obviously, could go out and change the world for Christ, Jesus had to change Paul's life. Before Paul could go out and get other people saved, he had to get saved. All right? So I want you to take a look real quickly at his testimony, what happened to Paul. All right? Now, 
Most of y'all know this probably. As you read this, it says, uh, it reads, his name is Saul, S-A-U-L. But after he got saved, he was so radically transformed, he changed his name to Paul, okay? That's how much it changed his life. So we're going to just read it as Paul so we don't get confused. It's talking about the same guy, okay? Acts chapter 9 says this, chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, this is before Paul got saved, all right? Breathing out murderous threats. What that means is what it's talking about is, see, before Paul got saved, he did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. He did not believe he was the Messiah, the one who came to save us. He did not believe he was Emmanuel, God with us. He did not believe that, that, he, that he, he rose from the dead. He knew he died on the cross, but he did not believe he resurrected from the dead. All right? And he hated Christianity. He wanted to snuff this movement out before it ever got started. Okay? And when it says breathing out murderous threats, what he was trying to do was kill every Christian on the planet. The way it's written in the original language is, is the idea that the, Paul's very reason for breathing before Paul got saved was to murder Christians, to get rid of this movement of Christianity. And he just got through killing some Christians in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Damascus to kill some more, all right? But check out what happens on the way. Look at verse 3. It says this, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Now this is Jesus, all right? This is the risen Christ. After Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he made appearances for about a period of 40 days or so to different groups. This is one of those resurrection appearances. This is the resurrected Christ. No longer could Paul say that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Here he was, risen from the dead. All right? And Jesus says to him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? I think it's very important that you notice what he said there, that he didn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because in that statement, Jesus makes a, makes a proclamation that separates Christianity from every other false religion on the planet. All right? Because Jesus is saying that once you come to Christ, you are one with Jesus. That is not a concept that is in any other religion on the planet. When you get saved, you become one with Christ. There's 106 references, y'all, in the New Testament to us either being in Christ or to Christ being in us. When we get saved, we don't just become part of his family. We become part of his hand. We become part of Jesus. We become one with Christ. Let me tell you something. This separates us from all the other religions on the planet. Muslims have no concept of oneness with Allah. They live in abject fear of Allah, who on a whim can cast them aside according to their doctrine, all right? Buddhists have no concept of oneness with Buddha. And certainly Hindus, I've been to India, have no concept of a oneness with any of the 250 million phony gods in Hinduism. But as followers of Christ, that's what God with us means. He's with us. He's in us. We are in Him, and He is in us. We belong to Him. So when Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He's making that clear. But he's also saying, essentially, if you're messing with my people, you're messing with me because I and my people are one. We are one in Christ with him. All right? Paul's in a mess. Okay? Look at his response. Verse 5. It says this. He says this. Paul says, Who are you, comma, Lord, question mark. All right? Now, in the original language, they don't have punctuation. We don't have commas or question marks. All right? But I think the interpreters got this right on, is the way I see it, the way I see it. Because I think there was a pause between who are you and Lord. I think when Paul says, who are you, I think he was trying one more time 
to deny that Jesus really was the Son of God. He was trying one more time to deny that he rose from the dead, even though he's standing there in the flesh in front of him. He was trying one more time to deny that he was God with us, that he was the one who came to save us. He was trying one more time to deny it, but he couldn't deny it. Because there he was, risen from the dead, holes in his hands and his feet, pierced in his side. There he was, risen from the dead. So then he calls out and confessed him as Lord. I think it went down something like this. Who are you? Lord. And when he said the word Lord, I think he was confessing the essence of Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where it says this. It says, if you believe in your heart that God has risen Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, not just Lord of the universe, but Lord of your life, ruler of your life, you will be saved. And in that instant, y'all, when Paul confessed Jesus as Lord, instantly he was saved. Instantly he was redeemed. Instantly, he was made right with God. I want you to notice something there that happened. I talked to a lot of teenagers around the country where I go and talk to teenagers. A lot of teenagers have some issues with forgiveness. Well, what if, could God forgive me for this? Or they think they've done something so awful that God couldn't forgive them. And I always ask them, have you been out murdering Christians this week? No, you haven't. Well, Paul had, and instantly, he was forgiven. There's nothing you've ever done or ever will do that God cannot forgive. Nothing. A lot of teenagers have a misconception that there's this thing called blasphemy. You hear this, there's this unforgivable sin, okay? The only unforgivable sin is not getting saved, okay? That's it. So if you're still breathing, you still got time. You see what I'm saying? You haven't done something you can't be forgiven for. Paul was murdering Christians the instant he confessed Jesus as Lord. Forgave him, saved him, wiped the slate clean, and absolutely radically transformed his life. That was exactly what Jesus did for me when I was 16 years old. You see, I, I'm not a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home. I have awesome godly parents, but I totally rejected it. Long story short, I was sexually abused when I was a little kid. I kept that a secret most of my life and had a lot of anger. I had a lot of feeling self-worth issues. I felt like a piece of trash most of the time. I felt worthless and insignificant. I couldn't believe that anybody really could like me, especially God. And, and I couldn't verbalize this at the time, but I was always searching for something to make me whole. I, was always, I knew something was missing. And I was always looking for something to fill that emptiness inside to make me right and make me okay. So I got into middle school and Seventh grade, all my buddies started going to parties. I thought, well, maybe that's it. They're going to parties, and I'll start going to parties. Seem to be having fun. I'll go to parties, thinking maybe this is what's missing. After a while, you go to a party a few times, people start drinking. All my friends are drinking. Maybe that's what's missing. So I'm in eighth grade. Guy puts a beer in my face. Kind of hardcore, but that's my story. I had my first beer in eighth grade at a party. When I had my first beer, it changed everything. Because all of a sudden, I wasn't this shy little kid. All of a sudden, my inhibitions went away. All of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I realized I was kind of funny. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm life of the party, man. I'm a walking Mardi Gras. This is it. This is what I've been looking for my whole life, man. This is it. You become beers in me. I'm the funniest kid in the room. Until the party's over. And then I go home. Go back to my bed. Buzz is gone. People are gone. Party's over. All my junk's still there. All the stuff that's missing, still missing. Until the next weekend, 
go to party, get a couple of beers with me. I'm the funniest kid in the room walking Mardi Gras. Here we go. This is it, man. Till the party's over. Go back home. Buzz is gone. People are gone. Party's over. There I am laying there. All my junk still there. All the stuff that's missing, still missing. You see, the Bible even says, Hebrews 11.25, y'all, sin is fun for a little while. It's fun for a little while, but it does not satisfy. That's where I was. Fun for a little while. This rocks along all through my middle school and high school years to my junior year in high school. That became my life. I was a class clown. I was a party guy. Joke became, where's the party? Where's Runks? That's the party, okay? Every weekend. Not proud of it. That's just my life. I remember I, I, at the point, at that point, by the time I was a junior in high school, I knew how shallow it was. I knew how fake it was. I really hated it. I remember you sitting in my room saying, well, it's Friday night. Time to go be runks. Go play the character. Go dance so everybody likes me. Go be funny so they'll be my friend. But I knew it didn't satisfy, but I kept doing it. It was during this time in my life, I wound up in a geometry class right before lunch with none of my friends. I went to a big high school. I had 600 people in my class in Midland, Texas, and uh, didn't know anybody in this class. Went up sitting next to a guy named Kirk who didn't have any friends in that class either. And Kirk was different from anybody I'd ever met in my whole life. He didn't hang out in the crowds I hung out in. He didn't do the stuff that I did. He didn't party. He didn't get drunk. He didn't do all that stuff. He didn't have to do all that stuff I had to do to feel normal. It drove me. I couldn't figure this dude out. Like, I mean, I, I never met anybody like him in my whole life. I just started checking him out. I was like, well, this guy's got something I don't have. This guy's got something going on that I don't have. i got to figure out what makes this guy tick. i got to figure out what's going on with this guy. So I just started watching how Kirk lived, how he treated people, how he acted, how he reacted, how he lived, the things that he did, the things that he said, just watching his life. I had no idea that Kirk was a Christian. No clue. Because he wasn't some nerdy, Bible-thumping Jesus freak like I thought Christians were at the time. He was just a regular dude. We got to be friends, man. He didn't have any friends that class. I didn't have any friends that class. We had open campus at our high school, which means we could leave campus and go eat and come back. And uh, so one day at lunch, Kirk and I are sitting at Taco Villa, and we're sitting there eating lunch. And uh, I said, i got to ask you something, man. You're going to think I'm crazy. I said, but what's the, what's the deal with you? I said, how come you don't party? How come you don't do the stuff? How come you don't have to do the stuff I have to do? I said, what, what do you have that I don't have? And he started telling me about Jesus and what Jesus had done in his life. And let me tell you something. He didn't tell me anything about Jesus I didn't already know. Do you hear me? He didn't tell me anything about Jesus I didn't already know. I grew up in church. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. You know what I'm saying? Here's drug me my whole life. But the people I partied with was my youth group. They're sitting there drunk with these guys on Saturday night, and they want to come to church on Sunday morning and put on a face and play Christian. And I'm not playing that. I'm not going to be fake. I've been to all this stuff. I've heard all the speakers. I've been to all the disciple nows. I've been to all the can. I've heard it all. But for the first time in my life, light bulb came on, man. Because it wasn't some, some adult telling me what Jesus could do for me. It was a guy who was the same age as me. Same needs as me, same hurts as me, looking me in the face, telling me how Jesus was meeting those needs in his life. And y'all, his words had power because I've seen him live it. 
I want you teenagers to think that Kirk was some kind of super Christian, okay? He's no different than any one of y'all. He wasn't perfect, but he loved Jesus and he was willing to live it out. That's it. Nothing that any of y'all can't do. About a week later, Kirk invites me to go to this uh, this Christian concert. And uh, really, I'd been to all the camps and stuff, but I could not imagine what a Christian concert was going to be. I was like, I really just wanted to go so I could make fun of it, okay? <laughs> I was like, what are we going to sing hymns? What is this going to be? <laughs> and it actually was pretty good. But we get to the end of this concert, and, and, and the, the, the band, or the guy gives an invitation, an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel to get saved. And it's the most poorly done invitation I've ever seen in my whole life, okay? All right, I'm of the opinion that preachers should preach and singers should sing and nothing else, okay? All right? And he's, anyway, he gives the invitation. And basically all he says is, if you want to get saved, stand up. So I stood up. He said, now pray. I didn't know what to pray. And he didn't tell us what to pray. So you know what I prayed when I got saved? To God, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say. But I know you're for real. And I know I need you. And God, I want to have in my life what Kirk has in his. Listen to me, teenagers. That's the power of a teenager living for Jesus. That's the power of a teenager living out their faith. Adults, that's the power of anybody living what they believe. Going out and shining the light of of Christ to wherever you go. Imagine how awesome it would be, y'all. If one of your, your classmates or your teammates or your coworkers or employees or your boss sometime this year bowed their head to give their life to Jesus and said, I don't know really what I'm supposed to say. But God, I know you're for real and I know I need you and I want to have in my life what he has in his life. God, I want to have in my life what she has in her life. God, I want to have in my life what I see in the life of my friend. That's power, y'all, of anybody living out their faith. That's what we got to be about. We can never back down, no matter how crazy the world is right now. We can never be ashamed of the gospel. The world wants us to draw from the culture. That's why they're starting to say freedom of worship, not freedom of religion. They don't want us to express it in the culture. We've got to be bold, y'all. We've got to go out and share the gospel. And what better time to do that than Christmas? It's Christmas. This is our holiday, man. Everybody else is just playing Christmas. We know the Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. We are not alone. That's something that separates us from all the other religions on the planet. Is we are not a religion. We're in a relationship with God. God with us. Religion is people trying to get to God. Christianity is God coming to us. That's what Christmas is. What better time to be bold and share the gospel with people. What better time to share the truth of who Jesus really is. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue anyway. Why don't you just be bold enough to go ahead and step out there and say it. Let's step out there and share it. Let's step out there and love somebody and share with them who Jesus really is and what this is really all about. Teenagers, for you, what I want you to take away today, I'm coming back February the 8th for D-Now. I told you that this morning. From now till then, I want you to be so passionate, so focused. on. Let's get everybody in your high school here. Why not? Why, why, why limit God? How about everybody in this town? 
you reached out to everybody on your team, in your locker room, band hall, classroom, everybody you know, whatever you got to do. Start praying, be bold, and buy them to come. Adults, let's do the same thing. Not for D now necessarily, but just in life. Stop thinking of your job as a place you go to work, but think of it as a place God puts you to minister. A place you're supposed to influence people for the kingdom. I've been traveling doing this for a long, long, long time, and I've heard a lot of crazy stories, but one of the most heartbreaking stories I ever heard in all my years doing this was I met a girl named Kelly Baker one time. Kelly's from Amarillo, Texas. One Sunday afternoon, Kelly and her little sister, when she was teenagers, they were teenagers, they went out to the lake playing a game in the, that we've all played that, that, that she would go down the bottom, get some mud with her toes, come back up and throw it at each other. And Kelly's sister goes under one time, and she doesn't come back up. So Kelly went down to see what was going on, and she got down, and what happened was is Kelly sister got her foot caught under a rock or something. She couldn't get it out. Her face was 12 inches, y'all, from the surface. 12 inches. So Kelly goes down and starts trying to pull her foot out to get her free to save her. She can't get her foot loose. She goes back up to the top and starts trying to, trying to, to give her mouth to mouth to help her. But her sister was freaking out. She was trying to push the water out of the way so she can get a breath. But before a lifeguard or anybody else could get there, her sister drowned. 12 inches, man. 12 inches from the one thing that could have saved her. If she had just had a snorkel, she could have saved her life. Every single day of our lives, y'all, we walk past people that are living their lives inches away from the only thing that can save them. And we have the answer. We got to go out there, y'all, and be the snorkel. Be the snorkel that connects them to Jesus, that connects them to the one who saves. We got to have a sense of urgency and a sense of passion. No matter how much the world is burning down around us, no matter how much the world wants us to shut up, we got to be bold, go out and love people, and share the gospel. Yeah, they call us haters. Yeah, they call us bigots. And let them let them call us that. Let me tell you something. You write this down. It's real hard for somebody to call you a bigot or somebody to call you a hater when you're washing their feet. Do you hear me? When we go out and serve people, when we go out and serve, people respond. I got a friend who's a pastor in Pennsylvania. It's a different world up there. Had a lesbian couple move in next door. When they moved in, just like any other neighbor that moved in the neighborhood, went over there, took them a whatever fruit basket or some cookies or something, welcome to the neighborhood, glad you're here, blah, 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 blah. I'm pastor of such and such church. As soon as he said he was a pastor, she slammed the door in his face. Wouldn't speak to him. Tried to be nice, say hi, whatever. Not interested. Probably, obviously, they've been burned, have some issues with Christians or whatever. Winter comes. These girls are from the south. It snows a lot up there, a lot. All right, I can't imagine that these people got to shovel their driveway every single day, all right? Okay? So it's pretty funny watching these two women from the south out there trying to shovel the driveway, have no idea what they're doing. Um, he came out and tried to help them. They didn't want anything to do with it. Well, this guy has a thing, a snowblower thing. It's basically a lawnmower that blows your snow. Y'all from Denver, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's just a lawnmower kind of thing that throws your snow. Well, he has one of these. So from then on, every time it snowed, no matter how early he had to get up, he did their driveway before he did his driveway. And that opened the door to some conversation. 
It's hard to call you a hater or a bigot when you're washing somebody's feet. We've got to love people to Jesus. We've got to serve people to Jesus. But we can't back down and not tell the truth. I want you all to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to just think for a second about your life. I just want you to ask God right now this question. God, who is someone in my life, someone in my world, that you want to use me to reach with the gospel? Who is someone in my life that you want to use me to impact for the kingdom? Ask him right now. You may not have to ask. You may know. Some of you, may God may be laying a name on your heart that you didn't know was coming. I would ask you to begin to pray for that person this morning. I would ask you to, to pray that God would give you an opportunity to love on that person, to give you an opportunity to serve that person. And eventually, ultimately, share with that person the reality of who Jesus is. God, I pray that you would bless these moments in this church today. I pray that this, this morning would be a launching pad for this church, that they would go out, especially during this Christmas season, to share with the world the reality of who you are, the reality of what Christmas really is about, about Emmanuel, God with us, in a relationship and a saving fellowship with you. God, thank you so much for letting me be here, for what you're doing here, and I pray that that you would use these people, this body of believers, to impact this community and the world for Christ. In Jesus' name.